you are a storyteller and you are a student. You're only 23 years old and you've done a bunch of stuff. So I just want to really just start from the beginning and just ask you, what's your story? Tell me your story. What got you to where you are right now? I'm going to pick up that question with a quote by Kendrick Lamar. He says, if I'm going to tell a, a real story, I'm going to start with my own name. So my name is Jimmy Chengo, and I am 23 years old. I just completed my undergrad in, uh, in design. My story is a sum of uh, resilience, hope, religion, disappointment, loss, success, among other values and vices that, that any human can, can face or any human can get in, in life. Why do we learn stories at such an early age? Well, for starters, they're fun to listen to. Ghost stories, love stories, heroic stories, I'm sure you've heard them all. But stories also hold the power to teach us so many different things. Welcome to another Epidose of Sarah Tunin, where we tune into stories from policy experts, social entrepreneurs, and other changemakers on how collective action and positive design can create social impact in communities and improve well-being. I'm Korean Thomas, and my guest today is Jimmy Chengo. Jimmy founded the Afrobook Society initiative from a self-run book club while attending Egerton University in Kenya to make sure every child is able to tell and write their own stories. We begin our show learning about Jimmy's childhood growing up in Kenya and navigating through his anxieties of school and finding his purpose. We then talk about the growth of Afrobook Society and its current projects in educating and spreading literacy among African youth. We then switch gears to understand what the importance of storytelling is in society and its impact it has in enhancing the educational experience. Here's Jimmy's story. I was born in in a coastal town in Kenya called Malindi. I was born in this family that had everything. We had everything from the good food, the good life, because my mom was a middle class citizen who strived very hard and my dad was also striving very hard in the in the tourism industry but then things went south they lost their jobs that's when things went rough for some of us we were sent to live with our grandmother from a life that was all milk and honey and everything sweet to a very a very difficult challenging moment where we had to learn a different language. My story is that of a young African man searching for space to be heard and to be valued. Heading to puberty, I didn't have that. I struggled with anxiety and I always wanted to to express myself. But then in an African home, you are being told that you have to be resilient. You're being forced to be resilient. Whenever you bring up your tough situations, they tell you we've, we've passed through even tougher situations than those. I couldn't get that space to express myself. And then a lot of difficulties around anxiety came in. I suffered anxiety from, from high school to, to early years of my campus. I realized that I had a very impeccable weight on my, of my past because I passed through difficult moments. So I I sought for healing. I wanted to know how can I really be a better person? 
So I thought, why not really start appreciating and expressing myself through writing and through being able to read and that. And that formed, that formed a very good hobby for me and a very good opportunity to express myself through my writing, through my just having this conversation around books. Where did you start doing all of the work of your writing and your storytelling? I I started storytelling when I was when I was in high school. It was a it was a parents parents meeting where our parents came to school in high school and they were looking at our, at our grades if we have passed and getting consultate consultation with our teachers just to know if we are really doing well in in, in our studies. I offered to to recite a poem. I ended up talking. I didn't. I was reading Maya Angelou's poem. I can't remember the name, but then I couldn't really read it through. I I choked. I couldn't even pronounce the first few sentences of the poem. And that is when I wanted to to understand myself. How can I really overcome this anxiety? How can I really overcome stage fright? You know. So this this formed a segue to really wanting to to be able to to do more for for people like me who couldn't express themselves better so i wanted to storytell because through through storytelling you express a lot of empathy for people so a great number of people like my teachers really laughed it laughed but then they asked me we can help you we can really train you in this we can be able to give you skills and the ability to really talk without fear What led you to create Afrobooks Society? So Afrobook, I realized that I realized that reading is not it's a, it's, it's an impactful thing. Being able to read, being able to write is a very impactful thing. And uh, and I was not only doing this for the impact. I didn't create Afrobooks from the impact for the impact because it was, it just came up from a from a book club in campus in college. Because we, we like to read, we have these geek groups where we discussed books, we discussed comics, and we thought, why not just bring, why not just be pragmatic? Why can't we just solve something in the society? And we had to do a great number of research to come up with what, what we can do. And uh, Afrobook came from that. Afrobook is all about stories, you know? Right. Because at the, we believe that at the apex of every child's life is the desire to be heard, to be known, and their voice to be valued. So I started all this to not only do the valuing, but also give them more examples of, of what is possible with education, with the ability to read, with the ability to write. Afrobook programs encourage students to share stories build community, and cultivate a love of reading and writing to help literacy skills grow stronger. Aside from collecting books and stocking mini libraries for schools, their programs worked with other volunteer storytellers to immerse children in creative reading, art, and writing sessions that ensure that their stories are valued and their voices are heard. Afrobook Society 
we, we kind of really have structured our organization in terms of values, mission, and vision. So what we have is we have three, three core values that we stand for, as book, which will be care, curiosity, and community. So our vision is that we want to empower youth in, our, in Kenya to become change makers in the lives of children in Kenya. So we just want to support youth ambassadors from campus to be able to go and do a lot of mentoring, a lot of support, a lot of sharing their own stories with these kids in underserved communities and be able to really help them to really channel their, their voices into action. In January 2019, Afrobook Society joined hands with a local student NGO to make a school a reality for kids in the Mashuru community of Kajado, Kenya. With the lack of expectations, it turned out to be a healing moment for Jimmy. He found his purpose. In the process, he learned a lot. He learned that literacy is a right and a responsibility, not just a luxury. Can you describe to me like the process of getting getting Afrobook Society off the ground? So we we target or we work with communities from the underserved from the underserved societies or underserved places of the country here in Kenya. So the underserved societies are those that those that have zero to zero to none or zero to they have zero allocation for schools, zero allocation for social amenities, and they have low income generating opportunities, and the children really do not access learning in a way compared to other developed communities like town centers and all that. So we have been able to work with one very tremendous community called the Maasai, the Maasai community. I know most of you know Maasai because of, because of their, their pomp and their, they're very quite colorful and quite, you know, very fun whenever you travel to for safari here in Kenya, you get to see them because they always like to jump and they live in the bushes and all that. So we have worked with them because of a very huge, a very huge risk that they face where girls do not really end up going to school because of very derogative activities such as FGM, such as early marriage. And some even, some even, you know, they get they get married at a, at a very early age. So these are the things that we wanted to solve through our program. Since 2018, Afrobook Society has listened to more than 200 stories, handing out dozens of exercise books, pencils, teacher tools, and boxes of other storybooks across different communities. Can you describe to me your, your partnership with the Manhattan School? The partnership with Manhattan College came about in 20, 2018 when I when I attended the literacy seminar in campus. It was a joint partnership between Manhattanville College and uh, and uh, Rift Valley Reading Association, which is a it's an uh, an international literacy association affiliate organization in Kenya. And I decided to to just send an email to the facilitator who was based in, in New York, uh, who is currently a very good friend and a mentor, um, Professor Katie Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I sent her an email because I thought the seminar really impacted me and really just asked me to do more. The seminar just invited me to do more. And uh, that led to a fun drive and a book drive by Kappa Delta Pi, Manhattanville chapter that really provided a lot of books and funds to be able to send these books from New York to, to Kenya. 
These free stories, these voices of potential are to Jimmy a means to seek change for both self and the community. Through his work, he hopes to create significant change and dedicate the organization to giving children the sustainable gift of education. What's so important about stories? Based on your experiences working with these students, working with educators, what have you seen to be the importance of stories and how they make an impact on society? When you check on the history of where storytelling began, it's, it, traits, it traces its roots its roots from the indigenous cultural societies because it was shared as a way of learning in the communities. So through storytelling or the act of sharing stories, we, we kind of really foster participation in learning, which is, I believe that it's through stories we can, it's, it's a more of a participatory learning process that promotes community and understanding. Why stories? Why stories? I believe that this stories are these narratives like rhymes, poems, bedtime stories, like songs, you know? So I, I realized from the work that we do that we are not only, we're not only just listening to these stories or we're not just telling these stories, we are offering a channel to real and authentic learning where a student can make meaning of a topic. The books that we are able to tell, to use to tell the stories, are usually around values, are usually around, you know, these values around conservation, values around honesty and all that. This could, this is the easiest way of passing such values other than having it in a classroom setting where you teach because you cannot, the children or the kids cannot be able to, to really internalize or really relate to. So we believe that these stories are a conduit Whenever you read out or read aloud, you help students and children know the sounds and words and language to improve oral, oral language and reading comprehension. Finally, why stories? I believe that, the, that stories are a way of building relationships. I remember that I gave, I, gave a, I was on a panel of, uh, with, with other educators, a panel in Manhattanville, and I urged educators to really share their own stories because I think that educators are cutting, are undercutting themselves by not telling their real stories, their stories of, of how they really do their work in the classroom. Through that, that we can be able to, to really inspire others in the other parts of the world to, to be able to do like the same or even better. Finally, as a social action, whenever you tell a story, it helps children or students to be able to take action, be able to be inspired and to be able to believe in this imagination of, I can do better, I can be, I can be like whoever that story was talking about. Children are called to action to solve a lot of things. Because whenever you tell a story, it lights up someone's mind. I'm like, oh my God, this is a very beautiful story. I think of something else, I think of this. So you have these bubbles of thoughts of how you can do so much from just a simple story of, of resilience, simple story of beauty, a simple story of all these kind of beautiful stories that inspire people to action.
Afrobook Society believes that an African child's access to books is directly proportional to their personal development and contribution to society. When children receive a quality education, they go on to have more chances in life, such as better health, greater employment opportunities, and increased participation in the political process. Tell me more about this uh, International Literacy Association Award that you that you received, the 30 Under 30 Honors Award. ILA or International Literacy Association 30 Under 30 Honors, honors List recognizes people who innovators and disruptors in the, in the field of literacy in the deeper communities or in a large, in a large scale community or large scale setting who are doing tremendous work in achieving their common or their worldwide goal on literacy. I am so happy that I got this to be selected for this award because it not only is an opportunity for me to create, to get fame, but then it's an opportunity for me to get access to support from other people, support from other like-minded people who would like to support a community or the community that I serve. While they never saw it coming like the rest of the world, Afrobook Society strive to continue building their education programs to make learning constant despite all the lockdown restrictions in their communities. The pandemic has actually given Jimmy and his team an opportunity to restructure their programs to be more equitable, while also connecting with more literacy coaches and educational experts from all over the world. Where is, where is Afrobook Society headed? What's next for it? We kind of really are continuing to explore heavier touch interventions that will work to contribute to family learning in tandem with children learning. So we want to, to be able to, because we realized one thing when COVID started is it's that while schools were closed, parents and, uh, and guardians could not be able to, to support their children in learning. So that is something that I believe the Afri book wants to, to, be, to be a bridge to, to bridge the parents and the, the parents and the children towards learning or towards parents being able to support their children in learning. But COVID, COVID has taught us a lot, a lot of lessons. This is one direction that Afrobook wants to go to. Another direction is, is that we would like to be an international organization. We would like to do a lot of projects in the world, projects around. Africa, because we believe that Africa has a lot of a lot of potential, and that we are not just going to tap on it. We are not just going to we are not just going to really work in in Africa alone. But then we are going to be able to shine the light on many other organizations through collaboration. Everyone has a story to tell, stories that are unique and authentic to them, and from these stories, people can learn about literature, character, emotions, or culture, or perhaps even gain a sense of urgency to seek change not only for themselves, but for their societies and the larger world. Thank you guys so much for listening. That wraps up another Epidose of Serotonin. Once again, my guest today was Jimmy Chengo. You can learn more about Afrobook Society by going to afrobooksociety.org. That's A-F-R-I-B-U-K. S-O-C-I-E-T-Y dot org. You can also make a donation and support Afrobook Society by checking out the links below. All the links will be provided in the description. 
Serotonin is recorded, edited, and produced by myself. If you like the show, you can find the podcast online at teach.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and please be sure to rate it and leave a comment to share what you enjoyed or how I should improve. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think will get something out of it. You can follow the show updates on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my website, which is also linked. Until next time, this is Korean Thomas. As always, thanks for tuning in.